Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing, Marketing and Communications Director with Filene. If you don't already know it, the Filene Fill-In is the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. Today, we have a very special episode of the podcast coming at you from our research team. Folks, they are truly the dream team here at Filene because I guess we're just a bunch of nerds. This podcast episode you're listening to is, in fact, our wildcard output for the newly released research report, Credit Union RegTech Innovation and Expertise. What is that? Well, the report covers what can be done to help ease the regulatory responsibilities for credit unions, and it looks at what emerging technology is available to help credit unions better manage these responsibilities. This paper introduces the fintech category of RegTech. Stay with me. The report features a case study on how a number of different credit unions manage their regulatory responsibilities, and you might be surprised to learn how asset size relates to successful regulatory management. But right now, you're about to hear from two credit union people well-versed with managing regulations, Liz Hayes, President and CEO at Infinity Federal Credit Union, and Brian Godwin, Director of Policy Solutions at PolicyWorks. And of course, Andrew Downen, Managing Director of Research, joins us. So take a listen to Liz, Brian, and Andrew, because they managed to make a discussion on regulations exciting, funny, and inspiring. And then be sure to download the report on filing.org. Awesome. So should we, should we jump right in? Let's do it. So I think that what would be really helpful just to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about today, I know the research touched on this, that reg tech isn't a term that is um, in the common lexicon yet. And I think a lot of people don't know what reg tech is. So in a nutshell, what would you describe reg tech as? You know, it's kind of interesting to me because I do feel like some of it has been around for a while now. And uh, some of it is, is new and, you know, groundbreaking as well. Uh, but from my perspective, if I were to define it, it's just generally taking, um, you know, computerized processes to aid the team in accomplishing their goals. So that can be an automation of repetitive type processes. That can be artificial intelligence that's monitoring, you know, transactions and activity and analyzing it for you. Um, and it could be as simple as just information gathering and making it available for you. So it's a very broad term right now. As you mentioned, it's not um, overly defined yet. I think we're all kind of working our way through it and determining exactly what could be involved. Um, it's been interesting to see some of the developments from our perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Brian, one of the things that you just touched on is, you know, kind of all kind of finding our way through it. And that was one of the interesting insights in our research is that a number of credit unions that uh, we spoke with hadn't even really heard of the term reg tech, even though most of them are probably using some sort of technology, whether or not they realize that it could be uh, included in reg tech. So that that was interesting. It sounds like, you know, your your perspective is that we're all still kind of working through it as well. And you touched on something else that I'd love to kind of get some additional thought from you on. Um, you know, that in your mind, reg tech aids the teams in conducting their, their regulatory responsibilities. Uh, I think one of the, the uh, perhaps misconceptions that, that we've seen uh, from some people in the industry is that 
at some point reg tech may replace the, the human need for compliance people. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the insights we've had is that it really supplements and aids the, 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 the humans that are doing a lot of the work. And would you say that that's a fair assessment, that it's not meant to be a replacement for uh, compliance managers and others, uh, you know, regulatory people, but um, to supplement the work that they're doing? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, you know, I think what it does is it makes those people better at what they're doing. Um, it gives them a chance to focus on more of the high-level, strategic, you know, program kind of processes and not be doing as much of the, you know, the day-to-day items that could be automated. I also think it's helpful in just giving them better information to work with could be things that they didn't even have at their fingertips before. You know, it could be new information or it could just be, uh, you know, a gathering of data that might otherwise be difficult or time-consuming to accomplish. Uh, some of these software can put that right at your fingertips. Liz, do you have similar feelings about the concept of RegTech or from your perspective, do you see it a little bit from a different angle? Uh, We are experiencing something very similar uh, to what Brian was just talking about. So when we first um, when we first got our data warehouse, which is what we use primarily for a lot of the um, tracking of regulations and compliance, except BSA, et cetera. Before we had that, we had a team of people that was. I mean, literally, we had three people, and, and they would just do everything manually. And and what it in addition to that is that it actually rolled down then and required the front line to do things manually as well. So of course we had to track all this paperwork and and gather everything, submit things and and there was very little time or even resource put on what is the actual meaning of the information that we're gathering. So to me that was the the biggest advantage of bringing it bringing in Rigitech or our data warehouse was it it moved our team to a much more strategic level and identifying really what are they seeing, not just doing the work, but what is it telling us. And so it's not just for the, it moved to, um, moved beyond simply fulfillment of the regulation and compliance to the regulation. It moved beyond that to what are we learning about our members and the activity that maybe we can uh, help other members do more frankly. It isn't always uh, just preventing people from doing certain things. Sometimes the information can be very valuable in telling you um, how to make your members' lives easier as well. I think that that's a really interesting angle, uh, and, and Lizzie touched on this. Uh, and, and really, it, it almost seems like with uh, the emergence of RegTech, it uh, almost commands a higher level of thinking. To your point, and Brian's point as well, uh, of the compliance teams is that they're they're not spending their their brain power on the routine tasks. The the, the tech can do that. Then it frees them up to to have more you know, strategic and critical thinking. And I love that viewpoint that you know RegTech may not only satisfy some of the regulatory requirements, but also open up opportunities with new data and easier to access data uh, to serve members better. And, and Brian, I'd love to get your perspective. Are you seeing that in any of the credit unions that you work with at PolicyWorks that um, through their use of rake tech, it, it allows them to serve their members more effectively or in a more, let's say, credit pro-credit union way? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And so I've got maybe a, an interesting perspective from uh, maybe some people would not uh, look at it this way, but you know, working in compliance as long as I have, I see it as an opportunity for the credit union to do better and to serve members better and not always as a stifling or, you know, uh, not always holding credit unions back. 
And I think the RegTech, you know, works to that point as well. I know there's different software out there that can analyze the interactions that the members having with the credit union. Um, you know, what are their needs? What are their financial situations? Uh, where could a credit union maybe offer them a, a product or somehow fit that need that potentially may be unmet, it, you know, at the current time, uh, which is helpful for both the consumer and the credit union that way. It's interesting that as we're talking about reg tech, it's always part of the conversation to talk about the culture around it too. And so this sounds like on one hand, you have the technology, the capability, and on the other hand, you have the human aspect of it. And um, I think that's the make or break element, whether a human culturally can adapt to it. The research talks a little bit about this in um, describing the two different paradigms at work in credit unions today around reg tech. Andrew, do you want to describe those paradigms a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, really, the, the, the two views that you know, credit unions or the financial institutions could have around regulation. And, and Brian, it sounds like you see this day in, day out. Uh, one is very narrow, very uh, you know, uh, much viewing regulation as an impediment almost, that regulation limits our ability to serve members, limits our ability to uh, work efficiently. Uh, and in the research, that's called the impediment regulatory paradigm. And then the opposite view, uh, more of a creative view, and who would have ever thought that the word creative would be used in uh, terms of regulation, right? But reading the regulations more broadly, uh, looking at the regulations as a way to explore options, not ever, you know, not necessarily looking for the gray area, but how can the regulations and our need to satisfy regulation uh, be used to serve members more effectively? And, and Brian, it sounds like that that's the, the viewpoint that you might take. If, if you were to, um, with a paint with a broad brush, the credit union industry, would you say that most credit unions look at uh, compliance in a, in a more open-minded, positive way? Or are you seeing kind of a shift from uh, the, the more negative view to a more positive view? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that a lot of the credit unions I'm working with, you know, have a, have a set compliance as a priority, obviously. And that's, you know, that's how we're typically involved with them. So that's a really nice, positive experience for me. Um, I would say that historically, you know, it's been looked at as more of a hindrance uh, holding the credit union back. I do feel that there's a, a bit of a shift going on there, um, both from the emphasis that's placed on compliance, you know, the, the knowledge that I can hear when I'm speaking with uh, credit unions across the country has grown in the time that I've been here at PolicyWorks. Um, I do think that it's a more uh, positive or optimistic viewpoint of it. Now, of course, that's probably a little more of the exception than the rule, um, but I do feel that it's going that way. You know, and there's some credit unions out there that have done a nice job of uh, when a rule change comes out, not just thinking, well, how's this, you know, how's this hurt our existing operations, but, you know, are there additional opportunities now that because we've got a strong compliance program or because they changed the rule and maybe we've got knowledgeable expertise on staff to be able to you know, find a way to utilize that to more effectively serve members or reach a, you know, a population that maybe they have not worked with in the past. Um, so I do feel that that's shifting. Now it's a slow shift, but I do think we're moving to a more proactive and, and somewhat more positive uh, viewpoint on compliance. It seems like it's it's a little bit of a tough job you have. It's almost like you have to spin something that's, whether fairly or not, it's it's kind of got the connotation of being a negative thing, regulations. But do you have a, 
more examples of how regulations and, and evolving reg tech is positively impacting credit unions? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is that it's just giving, it's empowering the credit unions. It's giving them more resource available to them. Um, I know particularly with some of the, the smaller credit unions that may have more limited resources, um, they're not just limited in, uh, you know, available funds to spend on, you know, on compliance. A lot of times it's A, the knowledge, and B, the time to be able to do it. Uh, so, if, you know, if those credit unions can find a product that is going to be a good value for them and that maybe then, you know, interact with their core service or core processor, um, you know, something that's a little more intuitive that their staff can easily, easily utilize, it gives them more time back uh, mm -hmm. and gives them an opportunity to be able to be moving things forward. Um, you know, I, I, specific examples, you know, kind of vary, but... Um, I think if they can, you know, find a software that's going to allow them to focus on serving their members rather than focusing on a rule, you know, that's going to help them move forward. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, how um, focusing on the, the member service aspect, uh, I think, opens up the door for lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, with any of the areas within a credit union, if you've got the, the member at the center of what you're doing, you know, hopefully you'll have a more open-minded, optimistic, and you know, reasonably creative viewpoint on how to uh, how to apply that. Now, Liz, at your credit union, I know that you've been there uh, you know, for, for a few years now. Have you seen a shift in the mindset, and maybe it was encouraged uh, or uh, kind of uh, prompted by you, how have you seen the mindset of, of the employees, whether within the, the compliance area or across the credit union at Infinity, kind of yeah. change to look at uh, compliance as more of an opportunity than an impediment? Yep. So there has been a, a distinct shift in um, the way we treat compliance as well as the way we um, treat the employee, frankly, empower the employee and what they're able to do and still be compliant. So the, the message that I send frequently and um, what I firmly believe is that a lot of this is dependent on how the regulation is interpreted. So uh, to Brian's point, if you have a change to a regulation and your thought immediately is, you know, oh, now I'm going to have to track, you know, additional three things or whatever it may be. Um, or I may have to make these changes and it's confusing. I, I encourage people, first of all, to stand, step back and really take a look at what the regulation is trying to, to do. So, and I think it's important to remind people that regulations were set up, are almost always set up, it, to benefit the consumer in some fashion. They're either protecting the consumer from something, they are, they, there's been some kind of issue where consumers have been taken advantage of, or at least in the eyes of certain people, and so the regulation is there to protect the consumer. So as a credit union, we are also here to protect our members. So we're actually on the same side of the fence. So when you look at the regulation, instead of saying it's a law and we're going to get penalized and you go down that whole road um, that feels really scary and punitive and causes people to put very narrow policies in place and they um, send a really, frankly, a very uh, strong message to their team that they're not empowered and they have to follow policy. That, that inevitably is what comes out of that type of a mindset. But if you're looking at the regulation and you're saying, okay, I'm going to interpret this and I'm going to really understand what is it that we're trying to protect the member from? And is there a way that we can actually comply with this regulation 
in the spirit of the regulation, which is even better, uh, the spirit of the regulation, instead of just blindly doing what maybe an auditor or a regulator tells us to do. Right? So sometimes, and I frankly have never had an issue with either an auditor or an examiner once we've put something in place that may be different than what they had recommended initially, but actually um, oftentimes it was better and it was stronger um, in the protection of the member. Um, because it's, so as an example, so as an example, you know, there's a lot of attention put on BSA right now. I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, there's, there's just, um, it, for the last few years, it's the, it's the huge uh, regulation that everybody is worried about, and it's very expensive. And when you think about what BSA regulations have caused some credit unions to do um, in their ability to actually serve members who are, frankly, say, new to the United States or new to your state, so we have some new to Mainers, we call them, and uh, many credit unions and banks simply refuse to even go there, to even serve these people. Well, that's not the intention of BSA, is to say, that's not the spirit of it. The spirit isn't to say you don't serve entire communities. So that is not how it should be interpreted at all. And so it, it just... It's really important to look and say, okay, how we want to serve this community, we also want to comply with BSA and do our, you know, be a steward of, of our government, honestly, we want to as well. But we also want to serve these individuals, most of whom are really not an issue. <laughs> so when you look at it from that mindset and you say, okay, how are we going to serve these people and still set up a program that complies with BSA, makes everybody comfortable, but actually opens the door because here's the opportunity that we're experiencing is because they're not being served well. Um, I mean, this is just one example, but this is a community that is severely in many cases either underbanked or unbanked. And so it's a great opportunity for uh, an institution to step in and say, no, we're going to do this for you, but we're, it's going to have to look this way, and this, these are some of the things that we need from you in order to make this um, work for everybody, and to actually write policy on a much broader level that allows us to do that and still comply with BSA. And it's opened a whole, um, a whole community to us that, frankly, locally has not been served very well. So that's just one example, but it's a very important example, I think, of when you look at regulation, it's important, again, to understand the spirit of what is it that the government is attempting to either correct or protect, uh, and how can we do that, maybe going about it a little different way, a diff a different way that complies with that, but also allows us to serve. And uh, it's just really important to, to put the time in and think that through. What an interesting perspective, and thank you, Liz, that uh, you know, credit unions might be able to look at their interpretation of regulation as a potential differentiator from, from banks to say that you know, we're going to you know, look, interpret regulation as, as reasonably or feasibly as we can to really use it to arm our ability to serve members. And I think you know, the, the point that really stood out to me in, in your example and your conversation was that it's really not, it's not a binary zero-sum game, mm -hmm. that either the decision has to either be in the 
regulations favor or the members favor, that it can never be both, that it really can be both. But the, the, the central kind of idea that I've gleaned from your examples, Liz, and, and Brian, what you've talked about too, is interpretation. And, and that was one of the big issues that we saw in the research and talking about the credit unions is that reg tech is tremendously helpful at executing on existing interpretations. And, and there's still this, this kind of hurdle sometimes of you still require at some point a human uh, to interpret the regulation. Well, number one, understand that a regulation has been changed. And, and Brian, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of how are you seeing credit unions stay on top of changing regulation? And then are you seeing any examples of where reg tech is able to actually serve the role of the interpreter of the regulation versus just the executor? Yeah, actually, I think that's one of the biggest pain points that's facing credit unions right now. And um, I do think it's slowed slightly over the last year or so. Um, but definitely with Dodd-Frank, you know, things were changing uh, left and right. And even once the change had been made, they were changing the change. Uh, so it, it is a pretty difficult task to keep track of everything that's going on. Um, there is some nice reg tech out there that can help to, uh, you know, aggregate all of that data, uh, you know, pulling from federal registers, uh, you know, guidance from the NCUA or, or even state regulators um, to help credit unions stay abreast of that. Um, there is some maybe very minimal um, kind of interpretation. I do think that that's still a bit of a, you know, a human, a human touch there as far as uh, interpreting it. Uh, but it can help to provide a lot of guidance, you know, aggregate others' interpretations that can help guide the credit union. And then one thing I've seen that I think is really valuable with some of the reg tech is the, I guess, the follow-up to that. So in addition to saying here's a change um, that you need to be aware of, you know, helping to track what the credit union is doing to implement those changes, um, documenting all of those actions, um, you know, creating reports that then can go to your board of directors to make sure they're on top of compliance and directing the, you know, the credit union appropriately. And then best of all, you've got that nice documentation to be able to provide to your examiner. Um, and so I was an examiner in my former life, and if I could see that the credit union was being both, you know, proactive, communicating and sharing data with the board, and then documenting all that in a way that I could receive that as an examiner, uh, you know, then... If I'm looking at them from a risk-based per perspective, which they should be, you know, that's already uh, going in the credit union's favor for me right there. I love Liz's perspective on um, how she thinks about the intention of the regulation. And I think that's a really healthy way to think about these regulations. And Brian, I wondered if you had any stories to share from your experience seeing credit unions that just miss the mark on the intention of the regulation, what are the negative consequences that can come, um, not just to their business, but to the, to the people that they serve if they aren't um, following the regulation as, it, as it's meant to be? Yeah, so, uh, you know, as Liz mentioned, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of looking at what is the spirit of the rule, and that's always my, uh, my perspective that I'm going to fall back on. Um, typically, you know, an examiner or, you know, or other entities are going to work with you as long as you are acting in the, you know, best interest of the member um, and you're considering that impact upon them. And, and really, what was the rule designed for? 
as Liz mentioned, you know, the rules are created um, because either there's been a harm to a consumer or to prevent that harm from occurring. Um, you know, one of the one of the more difficult issues that I've come across in working with credit unions, and, and unfortunately, even in my own experience, you know, years ago, is uh, setting up a product to serve a member. You know, things like uh, short-term dollar loans, or you know, things of that nature, and then having issues with, uh, you know, maybe the way it was set up, the way fees are calculated. Um, you know. The end result is you want to make sure, like I said, you're acting in that member's best interest. So if in any way you're disclosing a fee that's not being calculated correctly or, uh, you know, it's outside the tolerance, that puts a credit union in a difficult situation. Um, not only because a lot of times those errors are really hard to detect, um, you know, if you have a, if your audit program's not up to snuff, but then once you've identified it, it's a matter of determining where did it occur and how to fix it. And usually the fixing it part's not so bad, but the drawback is, A, a lot of times that results in money that the credit union is going to lose because they've got to reimburse members. Uh, you know, those things aren't really budgeted for, so, you know, that's an impact to the credit union. But more than anything, it's, you know, it's a reputational risk. Mm -hmm. uh, you, never hate, you never want to send your member that letter that says, we screwed up on your account, you know, so we're reimbursing you money. Um, obviously, the member is happy to get that money, but, you know, they're putting a lot of trust in us and credit unions that we're looking out for their best interest, that we're, you know, we're taking care of them, we're, we're keeping their money secure. Um, so that's always a, a difficult situation and, you know, it can be costly for a credit union. That's a really uh, good and I think important viewpoint to, to really underscore is that if you think about you know, in any product that a, that a credit may offer or most of just you know the, the ongoing operations, you've kind of got three broad phrases, right? Phases: the, the development, uh, the management, the execution, and the reporting. And so much of compliance is focused on the management of the product or the management of the relationship and, and the reporting of whatever needs to be reported. But in reality, so much of uh, the, the importance of compliance comes in during the building of the product and the designing, and to your point, Brian, ensuring that uh, everything is coded and, and uh, calculating correctly on the on the core system. Uh, and, and it seems like an interesting area where I mean, maybe that's an emerging area for uh, reg tech is, you know, could there be, maybe this already exists, so we didn't uncover it in our research, but uh, some uh, validation tool that as a new product is built uh, could ensure that it's uh, being designed and built around all of the existing regulations. But I think that's a really important point is that uh, you know, a lot of the, the compliance headaches that credit unions may go through, for better or worse, could be avoided if uh, compliance is uh, integrated in during the product development process. Definitely. What would you wish was different about the regulatory environment and the responsibilities that credit unions have to meet these regulations? If you could w wave a magic wand and change anything, what would it be? Do you want to take that first, Liz, or do you, would you sure, like? I, no, I can start. Um, you know, and it's probably you know the big elephant in the room, if you want to call it that. I think you know, just I, I've spoken about our viewpoint here at Infinity with regard to compliance and regulation, and it. And I do believe, um, and I, I want to support what Brian was saying as well, as far as product development and innovation that comes from product development, that oftentimes uh, is something that. I think credit unions can be the forefront on and really be a differentiator, uh, just recognizing that some of the old ways of doing business that compliance is requiring us to change, I mean, they're going away. So we may as well 
develop a new product or service um, that's actually positioned to, to put the member in a better position, but also, you know, it helps the credit union to raise our profile in the community. Um, so that's really important. But the elephant in the room with regard to all of that is the, our core providers. Uh, it's, it's difficult because what uh, we run into here at Infinity is the core providers are oftentimes coming up with solutions based on what they believe uh, credit union needs um, based on, say, what the examiners are saying or, the, or other credit unions and how they're interpreting things that may be different than what, say, we at Infinity are interpreting. So we can't, it's not easy for us to just go to our core provider and say, we have a new product that we want to launch. Um, can you support us in that? We inevitably need to customize it or create something on our own or have some sort of a, you know, a fixed patch put together on our data warehouse or something because our core providers are just they're very rigid and they're and they're uh, difficult to work with and they don't necessarily look at things the same way we do here at Infinity. So that that is really while I see what we're doing is an opportunity, it takes us a whole lot longer than I would like because we have to customize so many of our products and services in order to accomplish the goal that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and so I guess my, my thought might be a little bit away from RegTech for you, but um, generally speaking, I, I think some of the things that could be most beneficial to credit unions and consumers from a compliance standpoint is just a little bit better management of the process at the regulatory level. Um, so, you know, I, there's a lot of changes that happened on the mortgage lending area in particular um, back in 2010 and then and then most recently here the last few years. Um, whereas an example, the original good faith estimate that you would provide to um, an applicant was just a pretty simple short little one pager that listed all the fees that you know they could reasonably expect that they might incur, uh, how much they would have to bring to closing, and you know and what their payment obligation would look like. And then over the years, we've added additional information. Uh, clearly for the benefit of protecting members from getting into, you know, different products that might not be as beneficial for them. But unfortunately, we've just continued to add pages to that document. And I feel that as a, you know, an applicant reading that, when it's those short little one-pager, you're real interested, you want to see the numbers, you want to drill down into it. But as those pages get longer, you know, you hand those documents over to the member on the other side of the desk and they just kind of skim through it, sign off on it, and move along. So the goal was to help educate members as far as what the product entails, what they're getting into. But I think that sometimes we've had a, an adverse impact and actually overwhelmed them a bit. Um, I'd also like to see a little bit of a more holistic view of the regulations where sometimes there may be a little bit of conflicting information, uh, even, inf even things such as the definition of a business day. You know, it would be great if we could do that one business, one business day definition across all regulations. Uh, but we do have multiple parties involved and, you know, rules were written at different times, so, so I understand where we are where we are. Um, you know, and then the other thing kind of to go along with what Liz says is just the amount of change, and particularly when rules are put out and then they're changing before they become effective, which is great if that's in response to feedback from credit unions. You know, I respect and appreciate that. But it's a bit of a moving target. 
And so for those uh, core processors, like Liz mentioned, you know, they've got to try to create this product and have it ready to go for you at day one, but they hate to invest too much money into it knowing that it could change, um, you know, and then they've got their own interpretation where the credit union might have a different one. And unfortunately, all this results in cost. Mm -hmm. And of course, that cost has to go somewhere. Unfortunately, it impacts the consumer it was designed to protect as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the I think you mentioned the, the 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 pace of regulatory change increasing, which could potentially lead to ambiguity, as you pointed out with the example of what, what is a business day, uh, and, and then certainly from the the member impact as the pace of regulation changes, uh, the the volume of regulation and disclosure that is put in front of them. You know, as a uh, innovator, I can't help when my mind starts to go to, to solutions, and wouldn't, wouldn't that be interesting if we could come up with a, a uh, kind of a, a translator, like the Rosetta Stone for uh, uh, credit union regulation to say, okay, remember here are the, the 10 pages we must legally hand you, and here is it, here it is in plain English. Uh, maybe that's the future of reg tech too. But, uh, you know, both of you touched on this, uh, you know, the, the concept of the core provider, the core processor, and the fact that the, that truly is, regardless of who the core processor is, they serve as the nerve center of all of the transactions, most all of the business that's going on at our credit union. And, uh, you know, I can definitely see and appreciate how that that can become a bottleneck uh, because you know from the core provider's perspective, yes, they're serving hundreds, if not thousands, of of credit union clients and potentially other industries. Yet, how can we do that in a way that makes it as cost effective as possible for each individual credit union? And, and that gets me to you know a question that I'd have for you, Brian, is you know we've we've all seen the statistics that the smaller credit unions, you know, on average, dollar for dollar, I think you know Kuna's research was showing you know the credit unions under a hundred million and assets you know, uh, have basically three times the, the regulatory cost burden of, of larger credit unions. Are you seeing, um, maybe through existing reg tech, maybe for, through some creative processes, are you seeing creative and innovative ways that smaller credit unions are able to look the, look the regulatory burden in the face and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to tackle this in a successful way? Do you see reg tech as an, as an opportunity, particularly for smaller credit unions? Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the, a lot of the times it's not even so much the cost for these you know these credit to be able to keep up, but it's it's very time consuming. So if there's a way to implement some reg tech in there to help to um, you know handle some of those base processes for them, that's going to give them more time to accomplish their goals. It's also going to give them better data to be working with. Uh, so they can have very sophisticated information at their fingertips, um, you know, so that they can make decisions appropriate for their credit in. Um, but, you know, as far as the types of reg tech that are out there, you know, they're very wide and varied at the moment. So I've been, been involved with different software that is as simple as using your mobile phone to take a, you know, a photo of yourself or a selfie, basically, um, to identify yourself from like a, a BSA perspective. Uh, you know, there's information or systems out there that can compile Humda data and validate it to make sure that it's, you know, accurate with the available information out there. And then there's the more robust, you know, vendor due diligence, ERM type of systems. Um, the thing I think is key there for the smaller credit unit is making sure that you find a system that's going to be really intuitive, um, work with their needs, hopefully integrate with their software so that they get the most value of it. So particularly if you're somewhat limited in resources, 
you know, you could buy a very elaborate system that can do all kinds of things, lots of bells and whistles, but that may or may not be as most valuable for you. And with as much as there is out there, I think it's a matter of determining, you know, what's going to give us the most bang for a buck. Like, what are we going to get the best buy-in among staff, get the most people on it, using it? Um, like Liz mentioned, empowering your staff to get in there to, you know, to get a value out of that. Uh, so it's a bit of a, you know, balance between what's going to be cost-effective, but what's going to give you the most return. You know, and I tend to look at that a lot in the um, perspective of staff time too, because time is money. You know, we're all we're all working hard. We're all running short on time. So if you can find software that's going to integrate the most seamlessly and give you some of that time back, so you can focus on your members, that's going to be the best value. Mm-hmm. And if I could speak to that for just a moment as well, something that here in Maine is very unique, I think, um, to the to our credit union community here is our league, the Maine Credit Union League, uh, actually is also, they own um, and developed and launched a company many years ago called Synergent. And I would say, now Infinity, we are, we are um, not on the service bureau, the Synergent service bureau, but we're one of the very few credit unions. So there's 59 credit unions in Maine, and I bet they have at least 95% market share of the credit unions that are on the Synergent program. And so what that allows them to do is that our our smaller credit unions in Maine are very strong, and and it's really interesting how how well this has worked. So um, we have so they're on Synergent, which is a service bureau, and they so it is actually the league in Synergent through the league that is um, that's responsible, frankly, for taking care of a lot of this for credit unions. Now, yes, obviously, ultimately, the credit union is responsible, and so they need to know and understand what the regulation is and what the compliance means and, and um, you know, what it is that Synergent does for them. But they are not, they are, they are assisted in a way that I haven't seen in any other state. So I would, I, I think that our, um, the credit union, the smaller credit unions in Maine are actually very innovative, and they're able to try and do some things that I haven't seen small credit unions do, be able to do it, especially in recent years, just because um, you hear so much about the costs and the burden of, of regulation. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is I think what's interesting is that some very small credit unions in Maine, I would say certainly ones that are under $100 million, um, actually appear to be considerably larger than what they actually are. Because if you go to their website, you see their product offerings and the number of branches that they have. I think you'd be surprised. I think you, if you were to, if you were to guess, you would guess them at considerably larger than what they actually are. And I, and I put a lot of that to uh, the Maine Credit Union League and Synergent, who has provided a platform for credit unions throughout the state of Maine and beyond. They go out, they've gone outside of the state as well. But it's just, it's a very interesting business model that I have not seen elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of like a, the democratization of of data, and um, it's almost a, a bit of an equalizer if if it's done well. I think. Exactly, yeah. I, that is exactly true. And the, now I would say the downside of that, the reason we're not on it, honestly, and and I don't intend to, is I'd say the downside of it is that you get. Um, they are all really strong, but they all tend to look alike because <laughs> they have similar product offerings because they come through that service barrel. Sure. And so I see it as a, a really important point of differentiation to go our own way. Mm-hmm. But just as a model for a mid-sized, small to mid-sized credit unions and how you can maintain and be very successful and innovative, 
uh, it's a very interesting model. It, it makes me imagine a future, like in the movies, you know, um, was it Minority Report where they had all the biometric screenings of your eyes and your hands and your face? And But those things always go so dark really quickly, you know, and I would love to imagine that there's actually a chance for us to use technology for good in the future. So um, I'm, I'm picturing this future where we have a really high tech environment, but it's it's used in the best interest of of serving credit union members. How far out from that future do you think we are? (laughs) (laughs) Now we're getting out the crystal balls here. (laughs) But, uh, well, you know, I I think so much of it's uh, rooted in collaboration. As as Liz was talking about, you know, the the main credit union league, Citizen model, uh, very unique. It really underscores collaboration. Completely completely understand, Liz, from your perspective, the collaboration can, can, you know, be taken perhaps too far at one point because you need differentiation as well. Um, But, God, Gosh, I think about you know what that future is going to look like and how can credit unions continue to differentiate yourself. And I think there's so much that uh, has yet to be explored from a perspective of regulation. We've touched on, Brian, you've talked a little bit about uh, and touched on artificial intelligence. I think that there's a huge opportunity for credit unions to differentiate themselves via the ethical use of artificial intelligence, via the ethical interpretation of regulation. Lizzie talked about that, looking at you know, regulation from a pro-member perspective. But I really do think, and, and uh, any soapbox I can personally get up upon, I will continue to do this, is that our our future is going to be rooted in collaboration as appropriate. And Brian, I'd love, you know, whether it's through policy works or other uh, venues that you've seen, how have you seen uh, credit unions effectively collaborate, you know, regardless of asset size, to really tackle uh, regulation to stay competitive and also kind of benefit from each other's uh, knowledge and expertise? And, you know, Perhaps uh, if, if I've, I'm credit union A, I can benefit from uh, learning how credit union B is kind of uh, bump their head uh, from a regulatory perspective. Uh, we all win. I mean, do you see collaboration as a, a part of the future of credit unions? Yeah, I really do. It's, it's one of my favorite parts about uh, both credit unions and compliance. Um, so, you know, in my previous life, I had some of that four-letter word experience that starts with a B in it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and even in that, uh, that, indus- that area, I guess I would say, um, compliance was not nearly as competitive. There's a lot more collaboration and working together, um, but, you know, credit unions are, are awesome and great at collaboration as a rule. The thing that's really nice about compliance in particular, though, is um, although it can pose a bit of a, you know, a, a competitive advantage at times, it kind of feels like we're all in this together, right? So, you know, there is a lot of interaction between credit unions. Um, here at the, you know, in our building with the Iowa Credit Union League, uh, there's roundtable events where credit unions will get together and talk about different pain points they've had, you know, how they address that, what they're working on. Um, it's really great to be able to be a fly on the wall and, you know, in those conversations and an, and an advisor as necessary. Um, you know, one thing that um, CUNA has done is the creation of their community that they have. And so that's a really nice opportunity for credit unions to communicate with each other and, you know, share different ideas and, you know, kind of talk through how they're addressing uh, different different issues. So I do feel that it's a, a very collaborative area. Um, you know, RegTech could obviously assist that by bringing people together and, and kind of monitoring that. Um, but I do see compliance as a as a pretty collaborative and partnered um, you know task that all credit unions have to face. 
Andrew, do you have any thoughts on the the research that was done on our RegTech report here? Where do credit unions go from here once they have this information, the credit unions listening to this podcast? Um, what's kind of the next next step for credit unions that are interested of one mindset or, or the other? Either way, what, what do they do now? Well, you know, I, I think the, the first uh, recommendation I would have, and, and Brian's touched on it, Liz has given examples, is uh, for credit unions that are just scratching the surface to, to understand and recognize that reg tech won't necessarily, at least in its current state, be the silver bullet that, that automates everything in the world of compliance, that there still will be a need for human uh, interpretation, human intervention, human collaboration, as was mentioned, that, uh, you know, that that reg tech can be a supplement versus a replacement uh, to the, the current uh, compliance and regulatory teams within credit unions. Um, and I think, you know, Brian touched on this as well. I, I think a good next step, too, is you know, regardless of where a credit union is at, uh, from a complexity standpoint, the types of products that it's offering, it's, it's financial and, and other resources, to really look at any investment that they may make in reg tech from a, certainly a business perspective. And, you know, how will it serve my needs today uh, from both a regulatory and member perspective? And within reason, um, how can we look to invest in a service or system that will help us grow into a credit union of a larger size, right? Um, so, uh, and this can be easier said than done for credit unions, but um, if I'm a $250 million credit union, um, can I look at reg tech and regulation as a way to help propel my credit union to a larger size, to being able to more effectively serve my community and my members? And if the, the budget constraints allow it, can I invest in a system that will serve my needs today and five years down the line? Liz, do you have any advice for credit unions out there that may want to shift their paradigm or just take advantage of this regulatory environment to use it as a competitive advantage instead of an impeding or burdensome weight upon their business? My first point of advice would be don't be afraid of it. I think that um, there is there is a fear about regulation. I mean, it's mentioned in the paper this fear of um, that we're going to be penalized, and and so we have to, you know, take this burden on, and we have to be, we have to do exactly what we're told. And I would just suggest to people, to leaders in the credit union industry, is don't be afraid of that. Uh, don't don't go down that path, because there really is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, you know, just to reiterate what I said earlier, um, we are on the same side of most regulations. And so it's really important to look at it that way and say, I don't want my members to be charged exorbitant fees when they're overdraw their account. And I don't have a business model that is set up on the backs of bad things happening to people. And unfortunately, just as a financial services industry, and even some credit unions got mixed up in this as well years back, there was a reason why Dodd-Frank was brought forward. I mean, there were some business practices that, frankly, needed to change. And so what I would, I would suggest is that you take a hard look at what your current practices are um, as far as your products, your services, where you're making your money, 
And I would say, how can I use these regulations and what um, the spirit of that regulation is? What is the intent? What is the point that we're trying to get to? And how can I be more innovative and be out front? Because what's interesting about RegTech and, and other technologies, whether it's the mobile platforms now, or I mentioned our data warehouse, we also have you know, the enterprise risk management system. We've invested a lot, Verifin, we've invested a lot in technology. But the benefit of that is that credit unions the size of ours, so we're about 340 million. So we're, we're a credit union of 340 million, but we're able to compete with the largest institutions locally um, in a manner that we couldn't 10 or 15 years ago because we didn't have the ATM networks. We didn't have uh, to the extent that we needed to. We didn't have a branch in every corner. So, the, so while RegTech and technology can appear you know, um, kind of frightening and expensive and burdensome. If you look at it as a kind of an evolution of the industry, where believe it or not, size, while it may matter to a certain degree, uh, uh, it doesn't matter the way it used to. It just, it simply doesn't. I came from a very large credit union and I can tell you, I believe that we're competing better at Infinity than we were there because we are of, of, a, of, in my mind, kind of an ideal size where you're, you're big enough, where you have the resources and you, you have the ability to attract the talent. But on the other hand, um, you also can be very nimble and quick to move. Um, we move at the speed of light here. And so when you, have the, when you have your mindset in kind of a possibilities mode or an opportunity, opportunity mode uh, when it comes to things like compliance, regulation, technology, uh, if you look at it that way and you just say, I'm going to write a strategic plan and I'm going to start you know, eating that elephant one bite at a time, as they say, and I'm going to differentiate myself. And it's, it's interesting how you really can raise your profile in very short order. Mm-hmm. So that would be my advice. That's so great. I, I really do hope credit unions take heed to that. And uh, I think that you've set a really strong example there. So um, thank you for sharing that. So thank you, Brian, Liz uh, characterized uh, compliance as an elephant. <laughs> uh, where, <laughs> where, do you, uh, where do you see this elephant going in five years? Uh, where do you see compliance going? Do you see, uh, you know, from your position at PolicyWorks, from what you've seen within credit unions and from the regulator, where do you see regulation heading in the next three to five years? And maybe as a wrap-up, where do you see you know, the role of reg tech you know, as regulation changes? Actually, I think that they're, they're somewhat aligned. Um, I do see more of the uh, you know, regulatory landscape moving to more of a, of a digital type of uh, situation. Um, you know, currently, the regulators haven't taken reg tech into much of an account. Um, you know, the rule is the rule, whether you're uh, complying with it electronically or, you know, using paper, for example. Um, I do think that that will probably uh, change a little bit and they'll start to accommodate more electronic, um, you know, implementation of, of compliance. The difficulty, though, is that it is changing so rapidly. Um, so, I, you know, I think as far as RegTech itself, I think the sky's the limit. Um, I was at a, a RegTech conference in New York City uh, a couple of months ago now, and they said that there's kind of two ways that uh, these products are being developed. One is that the compliance staff is saying, 
here's this item we're either doing repetitively, you know, something that could be managed more effectively, you know, what can you create for us? So it's being driven by compliance. Or on the other end of the spectrum, there are IT professionals who are creating software saying, here it is, I don't know what you can do with it yet, let's figure it out. So there's kind of two ends of the spectrum there. Um, one of the really cool examples from the IT perspective is IBM's Watson program, which is infinitely interesting to me. Um, but I think that as we move forward, those two groups will start to come together a little bit more, and I think that's where the, the true value will come from. Um, you know, as we work with IT people from the compliance side, I think as we can speak to compliance as a whole, and to your point where it's going in the future, that gives them kind of some framework to work within, and they may come up with some innovative solutions that we wouldn't have thought of from a compliance perspective. Um, and then on the other end of things, you know, if they don't have any direction, they're just maybe aimlessly creating software thinking maybe this will stick somewhere. Um, I, I, I foresee those two uh, groups continuing to work together and to, you know, grow together to create some more innovative solutions as we move forward. Um, one thing I would say is that I was a little um, uneasy or kind of interested to see what might happen in the regulatory landscape with the, um, you know, with Donald Trump taking office as a president. Um, I'm not as concerned that at this point that there's going to be, you know, wide sweeping drastic changes there. So I do think we're going to continue to kind of move along as we have. Um, I expect that the rate of change may slow a little bit. Um, which, which it has a little bit now that we've got through Dodd-Frank, um, but it's, you know, it's ob obviously going to continue to, to change as we move forward. I feel like we could have an entire, another hour-long podcast all about, yeah, the, <laughs> the changing landscape and, and what will and won't um, be in flux and the CFPB and all of that. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, uh, we're dating ourselves here, but it's, uh, we're recording this on November 28th. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest question along those lines is uh, who is literally sitting in the, the, at the helm of the, the, the CFPB? So. Yeah, it's a very interesting <laughs> time. <laughs> Well, good. Well, thank you both uh, very much. We appreciate uh, your insights uh, you know, from uh, the perspective of uh, Brian as a, a consultant, a provider of uh, compliance services for uh, for credit unions, and uh, Liz as a leader of a credit union that, uh, as you've uh, put it very well, is uh, you know, innovative beyond its resources. If we want, to, if we could characterize it in that sense, um, uh, really helpful to give um, our listeners and uh, those who may read the research, uh, you know, real world perspective on this topic that's still uh, very murky on uh, reg tech and mm -hmm. is changing uh, quite, quite rapidly. So thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. All right, yeah, so we're done. <laughs> thank, I think I stole uh, Holly's thunder. By no, 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 not at all, not at all. I, I can edit you out. <laughs> okay, she'll edit me out. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> all right, I'm cutting you off, Andrew because that's it for the filing fill-in, folks. Thanks again for listening. A huge thank you to Liz and Brian for sharing their experiences, insight, and knowledge with us. And of course, to our amazing research team for pulling this together and for Andrew's co-hosting skills. He's our host with the most for sure today. If you like this episode, go out and rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us and make sure you're subscribed to the filing fill-in podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to get in touch about today's show, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone. You guys sound really good too. Good, good. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. chalking it up to the fact that I, my, my voice is uh, going out and I've got a sore throat. So I've got, a, I've got the, the low, sultry. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, romantic, anybody, so don't worry. <laughs> it's just the way my voice is this morning. <laughs> I mean, what what better of a topic, uh, you know, for for romance than ragtag, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! See, we're gonna have fun. <laughs> <laughs>